have a story you're bursting to tell the world. Are you sick of being rejected by the publishing establishment? Do you want to inject a little punk rock DIY ethos into your indie author career? Join me, best-selling indie author Steph Green, for Rage Against the Manuscript, where we explore how to tell your story, find your readers, and build a badass author brand. For more info, check out our website at www.rageagainstthemanuscript.com. Hey writers, it's Steph here, and welcome to another episode of the Rage Against the Manuscript podcast. For the next few weeks, we're going to be diving deep into writing craft. So not so much the actual art of publishing your books and marketing them, but more about writing them and how to make, how to create a book that readers are obsessed with. And the reason that we're doing this is because I think this is really the first part of the puzzle. And it's often one that uh, people who teach self-publishing and they teach marketing and, and how to be a full-time author, I think it's something that they don't touch on a lot. Um, and, and I think the reason for this is sort of lots of reasons. Um, one being that, you know, everyone's kind of in different genres. So if you, you know, if you're like a thriller writer um, who teaches self-publishing, then, you know, you don't necessarily know what makes a good romance book. So I think that's one aspect. And, uh, you know, I think the other aspect is just that a lot of the time we sort of can't look at a book and say, well, this is why this book did well in terms of the, the storytelling. Uh, and, and, you know, that's because our personal tastes get in the way and all, all kinds of reasons. But anyway, I think it's really important to, first of all, you know, look at what makes a good story, how to improve our craft as writers, you know, because that's the first, that's the first piece of the puzzle. So we are going to be talking a lot about craft on the show coming up. And this week I thought the first thing I wanted to talk about was about outlining novels using the skeleton drafting method. Now I have talked about this method before, um, I think it was in the episode about uh, how to write faster. And this is the method that I use, um, that I kind of invented. Um, and this is a method that I use to write, um, to, to outline my books, to, to plot out my books so that I can write them faster. And so we're going to be talking about this, and we're, yeah, we're going to be doing the thing. So before we dive into what exactly the skeleton drafting method is, I thought we'd talk a little bit about the sort of the two schools of thought when it comes to outlining your novels and plotting your novels. And that is plotters versus pantsers. So plotters are people that they need to know the, the exact shape of the story in varying levels of detail, um, often in quite a lot of detail, before they actually start writing the book. So they need you know, they need a plan, they need a sheet full of the story beats, they need to, to plot out what happens in every single chapter. Um, and, and these outlines can be sort of varying degrees of detail. Um, so I know plotters who they just write out um, a list of chapters and then they write a few um, sentences about, you know, what's happening in every single chapter. And that's probably, I'd say, almost the standard of what happens um, for, for, for plotters is some kind of chapter outline. Um, I know other plotters that they use a lot of like um, what they call like beat sheets. So they have um, sort of an outline of what is supposed to happen in a typical novel in that genre and then they just fill in the blanks um, of 
what's going to happen in their book. And they often do this with like character sheets and things like that as well. Um, and then there are people that need almost like a... I know people who write like a 10,000 word outline, which is almost like a, a super extended synopsis, and it's kind of in the voice of the, the book itself. It's about 10,000 words, which is a, a lot of outlining, and that will do, you know, that will get them set up for their novel. But plotters are people who can't, they can't start writing the book until they know what's happening. And then on the other end, there are pantsers, and Call them pantsers because the, the phrase is writing by the seat of your pants. And this means that you absolutely do not want a plot before you start writing the book. This means that the idea of writing a 10,000 word outline before you write the first word is absolutely disgusting and abhorrent to you. And the thing is, is that often when we... As writers, when we talk about, you know, are you a plotter, are you a pantser, we sort of view these as like, there's like this hard line in the sand and you're on one side or the other side. And it's this really kind of polarizing thing. But actually, it's more of a spectrum. So you fall somewhere on the spectrum between hardcore plotting and hardcore pantser. And the fact of the matter is, is that whether you are a plotter or you are a pantser, you, you're actually doing the exact same things. You, you're going through the exact same exercise to try and write the exact same kind of story. It's just that pl uh, it's just that plotters do it on paper before they start working on the book, and pantsers do it often in their head. Um, and, and sometimes they do it before they start writing the book, um, but sometimes they do it while they're writing the book. But they, they often do it in their head, or they do it on the page while they're writing. But they are, but we, they're all going through the same process. So with that in mind, I'm going to tell you about my skeleton drafting method. So what is a skeleton draft? Basically, it is a 10 to 20,000 word super rough draft of the book. So when we are, usually when we talk about a first draft of your novel, um, people tend to go one of two ways. So you tend to either be a person who you write a first draft that's sort of quite short, so probably for a 90,000 word book your first draft might be like 50,000 words. So yeah, you, so you end up quite short and then your next draft you fill in more detail. And then the second way people tend to go is that their drafts are longer. So for a 90,000 word book, your draft might be 130,000 words. And then when you, when you go through and edit, you're actually taking words away and you're tightening things up. So that tends to be what people's first drafts look like. Now a skeleton draft is the draft that before your first draft. So when I talk about the first draft, you know, having the first draft finished of my book, I do mean that that first sort of 50, and my drafts are about 50,000. So my first draft is 50,000-ish words for an 80,000-90,000 word book. But I actually do a draft before that, and that's called the skeleton draft. And we call it the skeleton draft, actually, um, funnily enough, I have never called it a skeleton draft before. I just, I don't know what I called it. I, I sort of didn't call it anything. Um, and then I was describing this method um, to another writer, uh, Alessandra Torre, when I was talking to some of her writing students. And she's like, oh, it's a skeleton draft. And I was like, hey, that's a great name for it. Because, you know, I'm pretty into skulls and skeletons and shit. So I'm like, yeah, this is a great name. So that's why we call it a skeleton draft. 
So the skeleton draft is a 10 to 20,000 word rough draft of your book. And in this draft, it, it's it's very, obviously it's very, very rough. And it, it's mostly dialogue. And it's mostly action. And this draft is all about getting all that stuff that's in your head down on paper in a format that actually contributes directly to the story. So at the end of the, the 10 to 20,000 word draft, you have got 10 to 20,000 words on your actual book. You've actually started the book. You've kind of started and finished the book, uh, but you've just done it super, super rough. So what, what is in the draft is all the major conflict. It's, it's the rough shape of the book. It's the rough character development. It's the, cha the, you know, the chapters laid out with you know, little cliffhangers at the end of the chapters. You know, it's figuring out all these kind of things. So I developed this method basically because I knew that I needed to start writing faster. Um, you know, if I wanted to, to to put books out faster, to compete in, you know, in the marketplace that I was competing in, if I wanted to hit my goals, I wanted to learn how to write faster. And one of the key ways in which you can write faster is if you know what is going to happen when you sit down to write. We talk about this a lot when we talk about writing faster. So when you sit down at the computer, you can't be staring at a blank screen. Um, you need to be like, right, I know what I'm going to do, so I'm going to start writing. And that essentially means that you need some kind of outline. But I am a pantser, and I don't like outlining. And I don't like, you know, if I figure out what's going to happen in the book before I start writing the book, then I don't want to write the book because I'm like, eh, well, you know, I know what's going to happen now, so boring. So this is why I need this draft. And the other reason is that I, you know, I also feel like, I feel the real resistance to outlining because I feel like it wastes time that I could be working on the book. So this kind of cuts out that that sort of thought in my head because I'm outlining, but also I'm working on the book. So how does a skeleton draft work? So when I sit down to write a new book, I usually have the following three things in my head. I have a character. And it's not like a fully fleshed out character. It's it's a rough idea of a, of a character and of, you know, sort of roughly of the conflict that's going to be happening to them. Um, I, you know, that character might be a kind of an archetype. But I have a rough sort of notion of a character. I have a hook. And the hook of the story is usually something that's going to happen in the first sort of 50 pages or so. And if it's not going to happen in the first 50 pages or so, then you probably need to think of a new hook. So I usually have a, a hook. And so the hook is kind of the beginning of the book. But it's sort of more than that. Because the, the, the hook doesn't have to be the first scene of the book. But the hook is the thing that makes the reader go, hey, this, you know hey, this is a story I'm interested in, but also, you know, hey, this is something a bit different, or, yeah, this is exactly why I'm going to pick up this book. So that's the hook. So I've got the character, I've got the hook, and um, I've also got some idea of the ending. But I don't have anything in the middle. So an example of this is my series, The Briarwood Witches. 
So this is a five book series, um, and and the books are quite long, so it's it's quite sort of over four hundred thousand words. The series. When I started the series, what I had in my head was I had I had this hook, and the hook was, what if a a, a science nerdy sort of a nerdy sciencey wants to be in the space program woman girl woman she was 17 in the books um 17 18 what if she inherited a real medieval english castle and that castle had some tenants who were some really hot guys and you know i'm running a reverse harem romance so that's you know so, so when i tend to think of hooks you, you tend to think of how you're going to put the other characters that need to be in the book into the hook so that's how i did it so what if she inherited this castle and it had these tenants and then you know when she went over to to kind of look at this castle and you know to see what you know see what she had so she so somehow she has to go to the castle so she goes to this castle and she discovers that she has magical powers and i loved this idea of what if you were a super logical practical very scientific person and you suddenly discovered that magic was real and so that was that's the hook so i that's all i had and because i am writing a romance i know that the end of the book has to be a happily ever after so I know that whatever evil, whatever challenges the characters come across in the book, they have to overcome them. And then at the end of the book, our heroine and her her boyfriends have to be, you know, together in a happily ever after. And that's all I knew. But I did not have a plot to go in between that beginning where this science nerd heroine inherits a castle and the end where there's some kind of happily ever after. I didn't really even have an enemy in mind, you know, an antagonist. I didn't have any of that concept in mind. The thing is, is that that's, that's okay. That's enough to get started. And the reason that's enough to get started is because plot comes from character. You take a person who thinks a certain way because of all of the events in their life that have led up to this exact moment when the story starts, then you thrust them into a situation that's probably pretty crazy, and what they do next in that situation is entirely hinged on who they are as a character. So my science nerdy character, Maeve, is going to behave completely differently in the situation that I've thrust her in than if she was, say, me, or if she was another character from another one of my books. So Maeve's personality and her history and the, the things that she's gone through dictates what she's going to do next. And what she does next is your plot. And that's because characters drive plot. And sometimes there have to be there has to be like inciting incidents that come from the outside but characters have to drive the plot otherwise the plot's really boring otherwise it's just a bunch of shit that happens to people and that's not why we read books
And this is one of the reasons why I'm so resistant to, you know, a lot of the techniques that um, that heavy plotters use is because, um, you know, they often use things like character sheets where you fill out, it's like five pages long and you fill out things like what's the character's eye colour and what's their hair colour and describe their family members and what's a, a horrible incident that happened to them in the past kind of thing and you sort of list them out on this sheet. And I just, it, it's just in a neat little list and I just find it really hard to look at a piece of paper like that and then translate that to a living breathing character on the page it just doesn't they just the two things don't flow together for me um i just don't seem to think be able to think in lists like that when i'm actually plotting and so because of that i, I don't do any of that i you know in the beginning i do not give a fuck what their eye colour is, what their hair colour is. Um, I know nothing about their family or anything like that. I figure that out as I am writing. So I start writing my beginning. And, you know, the thing about the beginning is that you have to, you know, obviously you have to figure out what's the beginning, what's the hook. So your hook has got to be near the beginning of the, model, of the novel. So, for example, Maeve... If the hook of the book is that she's the science nerdy heroine and she inherits this castle, then I have to figure out how to get her to this castle as soon as possible. And what's the situation, so first things you have to think of is, you know, what's the situation where she inherits a castle? Um, and how can I show in the first few scenes who she is as a person? So we get an idea of who she is. And, you know, you have to do this in a, in a way that, you know, the makes the character really sympathetic to the readers. You know, they really want to find out what happens to her. So, you know, the first scene of this book, which is not the same as the hook, but the first scene of the book is Maeve at a county fair in Arizona, which is where she grew up, with her adoptive sister. And her adoptive parents are there at this fair. And the Ferris wheel catches on fire and collapses and kills her adoptive parents and she Maeve tries to run in to save them but she can't get any further because there's flames everywhere and it's it's far too hot and across the field she sees a guy looking at her and she knows she's seen this guy before and it, it's very odd and her parents, her, you know, her parents are dead. Her parents who have looked after her since she was, um, you know, very little. So she doesn't remember her her birth family. She only remembers her adoptive parents. So these are her real parents. So they've died, and then she is mourning them, and she gets a letter from the uh, the university that she's applied for. I think it was MIT, um, saying that they've rescinded her scholarship. So she now, she's got no parents, and she now can't afford to go to the university program that she was going to be going to. And the same day, she gets a letter from England saying that she has inherited this castle. And she thinks, well, if I sell this castle, then I'll be able to have the money to go to MIT and help my sister. So... You know, so immediately we've got this idea that Maeve, you know, we've seen her parents 
killed um, in this horrible way and we see how determined she is that she's going to, to make this happen. And we know what she cares about because we know about the MIT. And then the next scene is her going to England, seeing the castle, meeting the guys for the first time. And at this stage, she's still planning to sell the castle and get the fuck out of there and go back to university. Uh, and then the more the more things happen, the more she changes her mind, and the more that the more and more that becomes impossible. Um, but that is how you know. So that's how I took the hook, and that's how I get to the hook. So you think, well, you know, it all comes back to the character. How do I move this science nerd heroine to England to her medieval castle? And then once she's there, how do I keep her there? Basically. So I start at the beginning. And based on what little I know about my character at that stage, I'm able to then move that character to the next scene, and the next scene, and the next scene. I'm able to ask myself, well, if this happened to this character, what would she do next? And as I go, and as I think, I get more ideas, and new things occur to me, and I'm just able to keep going. <laughs> and there's no real science to it beyond that. It's just, yeah, it's just keeping going. And keeping the tension rising and keeping things, you know, so, so that the consequences of decisions get bigger and bigger and more catastrophic. So I, I often plan series where, for example, in the first book, there is a danger to to the heroine or to someone the heroine loves. So maybe there's, there's a danger just to one person. And then, you know, the next book, maybe there's a danger to several people. And then the final book, you know, the danger may be worldwide or, you know, in some other way, catastrophic. Um, and so the, because the, that danger is always ratcheting up, the tension is always ratcheting up and, and the, the importance of every decision, you know, is increasing. So during this skeleton draft, this is also where I set out my chapters with cliffhangers. And the chapters are very short. They're mostly just like 10 lines of dialogue or, you know, a little bit of an action sequence or something like that. But this is the stage where I'm thinking about what's going to be happening in this chapter. And I'm thinking about how am I going to do a cliffhanger for this chapter. And, you know, I have written 40 plus books, so I think I'm pretty good now at writing cliffhangers. So they just sort of, when a story comes out of me, it comes out of me in these little cliffhangery episodes that fit really neatly into chapters. But I think that has come with practice. So the other thing to know about when you are writing your skeleton draft is this, this thing that I call set pieces. And I might change the you know, change the idea of set pieces into another, you know, kind of funkier title. But I, at the moment I call them set pieces. Um, so set pieces are events in the story or scenes that the reader expects to happen or that are going to have to happen. And the reason the reader expects these scenes to happen is either because these scenes are part of the genre or because of the Chekhov's gun rule. So, um, so the Chekhov's gun... Uh, we've talked about this before. This is, you know, this is this idea that's borrowed from theatre, um, you know, from a, a playwright um, named Chekhov. So the rule is, if you have a gun on the wall above the fireplace in the first act, by the third act, 
that gun has to go off. And so this is about if you plant details in the book and, and you set up things, then later on in the book those things have to come to fruition. And you know if you don't make them come to fruition, then your readers get annoyed because you know they, they knew this thing was important and then it turns out it's not important at all. And you can play with that a little bit if, for example, you're doing mysteries, because of course we've got red herrings. But you know, whether the thing is a is an actual clue or is a red herring is not as important as the fact that if if you tease the thing at the beginning, then it has to end up being something. So, set pieces. So, for example, um, I'm going to look at um, my Nevermore bookshop mysteries. So. Nevermore Bookshop Mysteries is um, obviously a series I've written and it is a kind of a mashup of the cosy mystery genre and of the reverse harem romance that I write. So because the books are individual murder mysteries, there has got to be a body discovered by the heroine. So that is a set piece. It, it is, you know, you can't have a murder mystery without a, a dead body. And you know, because it, because of the type of murder mystery it is, the dead body's really got to be discovered by the main characters. So that's a set piece. It's something the readers expect to happen, and they expect it to happen relatively early on in the book. So that's the first set piece. So then there need to be some suspects and some clues introduced. So we know there's a period in the book where you're going to be, you know, introducing these suspects and you know laying out some of the clues. So many of these clues are going to be these Chekhov gun situations where, you know, perhaps the heroine is in a scene um, and she doesn't realise that the things she's noticing are going to be important later on. But you as the writer have to write them in as important. And this is why the, the outline is so useful, is because, you know, later on in the book when I'm writing, um, you know, fast drafting um, some of the scenes and later on in the book I go oh I can go back and add that clue in the first scene and I just go back and add like one line as she notices the gun on the wall um, and then go back and finish um, the fast draft the skeleton draft of those later scenes so that's why this is really a useful method to use so yes so many of the clues in the beginning are going to be Chekhov's gun situations so then there needs to be an escalation um, so this is the next set piece. So usually in a murder mystery, the escalation is either a second body is discovered or the heroine is directly threatened in some way. So gets like a threatening note, you know, you're, you're digging too much, you know, stop, stop interfering, you know, something like that. Or the heroine is accused of the crime. And so this, this happens in the first book. Uh, in my Nevermore Bookshop Mysteries. So that's the next set piece, is that readers expect this escalation. And the reason that they expect these things is because it's part of the genre. Then, at the end, there needs to be a scene when the killer is revealed. Um, but this book is also a romance, so then you have to go through the set pieces um, that relate to the romance genre, so the development arc around the characters, um, because my books are steamy, they have 2.5 sex scenes, um, is kind of the rough calculation that I work on. Um, and those, so I've got to fit those in somewhere as well. Um, and 
when you think about your books in terms of these set pieces, you know, so what scenes do readers expect to see based on the genre and based on the, the Chekhov's guns that I've established you know, early on in that hook, um, you'll start, you'll end up in your head or on paper, you'll end up with a list of like 10 scenes. And these are scenes that you can skeleton outline, like just like that. And, you know, before you know it, you've got half your bloody book written um, in your skeleton outline. And then all remains is that all you have to do is figure out how your main character is moving between these set scenes and how they're navigating between these set scenes. So, and that's basically what the skeleton outline is all about. You're always thinking about what will my character do next um, and what's in their character to do next. Because in a murder mystery, if someone discovers a body, the person that they are, the character who they are, is going to really dictate what they choose to do next. So when I'm outlining like this, when I'm doing my skeleton draft, I do it super fast. So usually in about three days. And this draft is around fifteen to 20,000 words for an eighty to 90,000 word book. So I get a lot of words done in a few days. And that's because the only thing I'm thinking about at this point, I'm not worrying about this draft sounding pretty or anything like that. I'm just getting down those snippets of ideas that come to me as I'm kind of immersed in what is the story? Who are these characters? How are they navigating the world that I've invented for them? And how can I be like super clever with this particular clue? Or, um, you know, I've got this Chekhov's gun, you know, how's it, how's it going to go off later in the book? All these fun things. It is one of the most fun parts of the whole writing process. And what's really great about it is that it, although it's this massive mashup of ideas, every single word written is in some way contributes to the finished book. So by the time I get to the end of these three days, I've got a quarter of the book sort of written. And that is a really great motivator for you to then go back to the beginning and go through and turn that rough draft into an actual first draft. And that's exactly what I do. I go back to the beginning and I, I flesh out the draft into a 50,000-ish word draft. And usually the first five chapters or so are going to be, they're going to be perfect. And then by the end of that rough draft, the final chapters are barely any better than my skeleton draft. But the important thing is I've got that 50,000 words. That takes me a couple of weeks to do. And then I go back and I do what is my other favourite drafts, and that's my, my third and my fourth drafts, where I, I go through and I make the book, I like to say make the book pretty. And so that means that I, I follow, I use theme, I use um, the setting, I use the, you know, I, I sort of ramp up the emotion because, you know, my book's are inherently romances, so that you know the emotional sense of them is, is very important to the readers. Um, so I do a lot with theme and language and symbolism at this stage. I usually don't cut words, um, so when I do cut words, um, what I actually do is I add them into a separate file. And I'm usually cutting words during that first draft stage when I'm, I'm sort of sort of just finalising exactly what the book's going to look like. 
Um, when I do cut words, I add them to a separate file. And then often I find there's a place, you know, the words just weren't in the right place in the book, and I'll, well, they'll end up being a place later on where I add them. And I especially do that if it's like a particularly clever piece of dialogue or something. I'm like, yeah, put that back in. So I, I never really delete things. I just add them to a separate file. In that same file, um, I also keep a list of character traits as I in invent them. So, you know, that's like hair colour and eye colour and stuff I have to might, might have to refer back to, which is usually just physical descriptions of characters, the way they smell, um, and just perhaps certain details, like the specific gift they got for this birthday, like what, you know, what birthday that was, only if they're important to the story. So... I, I have my character traits um, just in a list in that separate file. Uh, and then the other thing that I will often list in the file is um, secrets or Chekhov's guns that I need to include in future books. Um, because sometimes I've forgotten <laughs> that I have, you know, that I've stuck a gun on. And that is basically the skeleton drafting method. I really hope you find that useful. And I encourage you to, you know, to give it a go in amongst, you know, other ways of drafting and outlining your books. Because the thing about writing is you need to figure out the, the methods and the, the systems that are going to work for you. And that is different for every single writer. It has taken me many years and many books to figure out what my method is and how it works and, you know, the most efficient, effective ways for me to work and, and build the best books that, you know, that I can write. Uh, and this is the method that I have come up with. As I said, we're going to be talking a lot more about plotting and about, you know, character growth and, and, and writing and, and crafty kind of things coming up on the next few episodes of the podcast. And also, I am in the middle of creating a brand new course, a brand new book, all about skeleton draft, all about plotting books, all about writing great characters, all about outlining. It is, I'm so excited about it. It's going to be a free component, and then there's going to be a more of a, a deep dive kind of uh, component. And I'm going to working really hard to try and get this this thing finished for you guys before NaNoWriMo starts in November so that you can start working on you know if you're going to participate in NaNo so you can start working on you know new ways of plotting and thinking about you know the, uh, the plot and characters and stuff um, during NaNo because NaNo is a lot of fun so I'm really really excited about that and You'll see posted in the Facebook group and in the emails there is um, a little survey that I've got which is just all about the you know the issues that you have around plotting and outlining and you know what you might like to see covered in a course and in a book and and the best way you know that you like to learn from a course or a book. So if you could fill that out, I would be insanely grateful. And basically, in the meantime, pop on over to the Rage Against the Manuscript Facebook group. You know, let's talk. Let's talk plots. Let's talk outlines. What's your, you know, what's your method? This is my method. What's your method? Yeah, I'm really, really excited to hear from you, and I'm really excited to dig a bit deeper into some craft issues. Um, and yeah, just yeah, talk writing with you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Rage Against the Manuscript podcast, all about skeleton drafting.
I hope it gives you heaps of ideas for your new book. Happy writing. <laughs>